Well, hey, everybody, it's so great to be with you today. This is week two in our message series, I Believe, as we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. This is that ancient, codified group of statements about what the Christian church has always affirmed and must continue to affirm and pass on from one generation to the next. And so, as we move into the second section of the Creed today, I want to start by reading you a passage of scripture from the Christmas story. This is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, 18 through 25, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. You know the story well. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, kindle in us the fire of your love. And now, Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So on February 10th, 1978, when I was not yet two and a half years old, there was a musical album released which would forever change the way people approached the electrical guitar. The album was released simply titled Van Halen. The young 19-year-old man featured as a guitarist on the album was named Edward Van Halen. And the second song on the album was a short one-minute, 42-second guitar solo called Eruption. And in this guitar solo, young Edward Van Halen introduced some techniques which were hitherto unknown to musicians and the musical world at large. And what Edward did was take some of the rock stylings and blues stylings of people like Jimi Hendrix and his hero, Eric Clapton. And then he infused with that his early training as a classical pianist and also the improvisational techniques that he had picked up from playing with his father, Jan Van Halen, who was a jazz clarinetist. And so he then merged these things into a new style, which some had dabbled with, but was not fully introduced and adopted to the world at large. And it was called two-handed tapping. And in this technique, he would not use a pick, as people normally do on the guitar, but he would use both hands on the guitar neck, and he would play these chord sequences, which were not common to rock guitar, but were borrowed from classical music. 
creating this beautiful, rapid stream of notes. And people were just mesmerized and shocked by this young guitarist and his new style. Some people were inspired by it. They thought, I can learn how to do that too. So many young people picked up the guitar for the first time because they wanted to learn to do this beautiful new thing. Some guitarists were demoralized by it because they'd been working to learn to play one way and now this guy had rewritten the book seemingly overnight. They realized they had to go back and practice and relearn how to do things that they didn't know how to do. Some people were kind of offended by it because by introducing this bold new style, he was kind of making those who played the old way almost seem a little bit outdated or not quite as far as technically advanced. But no one denies that Edward Van Halen rewrote the book on rock guitar. To this day, I like to watch a lot of videos on Instagram and YouTube of young guitarists. And almost every single one of them has adapted this technique and is using this technique of two-handed tapping, which was introduced by Edward Van Halen. Now, despite the different responses, when this album hit, when this guitarist hit, everyone wanted to know, who is this guy? Where did he come from? How did he develop this? And what are his influences? Now, in an entirely different category altogether was another young man who hit the world about 2,000 years ago in ancient Israel. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. He was supposedly born in Bethlehem, and he was raised in the area known as Galilee in ancient Israel in a small town called Nazareth, where until age 30, he was employed as a carpenter. And then at age 30, this Jesus man, he went to a revival that was being held by a preacher named John the Baptist, and Jesus of Nazareth was baptized in the Jordan River. After Jesus was baptized, he then began calling people to become his disciples and teaching them many new things. And he put a new spin on what was the old law, the law of Moses. And he seemed to have this ability to do things that other people couldn't do, like cast demons out of people, like heal people who were sick. Some even said that he had the ability to multiply food and walk on water and calm storms. Now, when Jesus hit the scene, there were many different reactions. Some people were inspired by him. Some left everything to follow him. Some, including his family members, thought that he had lost his mind. Many thought that he was a fraud. And the religious establishment of the day was threatened by him and conspired with the Roman Empire to have Jesus killed by crucifixion to try to eliminate the nuisance. Now, everything that I've said about Jesus of Nazareth so far has been affirmed by historians throughout the ages, regardless of who they think he was. They all agree that he made a great splash. They all agree that he changed the world. They all agree that he's from Nazareth, that he was from the Galilee region, all these things. But everyone has been very intrigued by this idea. Who was Jesus of Nazareth? This historical figure that no one denies existed. And one of the most hotly debated topics 
in the history of the world was who was Jesus. Who did he say he was and who was he and who is he today? Well, to be a Christian is not only to believe that Jesus of Nazareth existed as a person. And it's not just to like Jesus. Most people like Jesus. To be a Christian is to believe some very specific things about the identity of who Jesus of Nazareth was. And the whole second part of the Apostles' Creed, the longest section is devoted to putting in words who Christians have believed and continue to affirm Jesus of Nazareth was and is. We looked last week at the opening statement of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Today we're looking at the opening part of the Jesus section, which says, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And again, each word in the Apostles' Creed is carefully chosen. There is no fluff. And so let's look at the four things that this section says about who Jesus is, who Christians believe he is. First, to be a Christian, we believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Creed says, I believe in Jesus Christ. Look at this episode, which is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And this is in the midst of Jesus' three-year ministry. He's really stirring people up. And so people are questioning, who is this guy? And look at what it says. It says, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? That's how he referred to himself. He says, they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. If someone says that they believe in Jesus Christ, they're making a very clear statement that they believe Jesus to be the Christ. Christ was not Jesus' last name. He was not the son of Joseph and Mary Christ. Christ is a title. It means the Messiah, which means the anointed one. Now in Old Testament times, we read about three different roles which were anointed with oil as they began their functioning in their role. Kings were anointed with oil when they started functioning as kings. Prophets were anointed with oil and priests were anointed with oil. Now the Old Testament also talked about this Messiah who had come, who would be a descendant of King David, who would be a Jewish king in the lineage of David, who would be anointed, not with oil, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this Messiah would set prisoners free. He would open the eyes of the blind. He would preach good news to the poor, and he would set the oppressed free. Now, in ancient Israel in the first century, the Jewish people were languishing under the oppressive Roman Empire. And so they were all eagerly awaiting the coming of this promised Messiah who would set prisoners free, open the eyes of the blind, etc. And so all these people would appear who claimed to be the Messiah, false messiahs. So then when to, they believe, when we affirm that Jesus is 
the Christ, we are saying that we believe he actually is that Messiah, anointed with the Spirit of God, with the ability to do all these things, the descendant of King David, who will sit on the throne of David forever. To say that I believe in Jesus Christ is to make the clear statement, I believe that Jesus is the Christ of God. Number two, to be a Christian is to believe that Jesus is God's only son. The creed says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. Look at this prayer that Jesus prayed to God the Father shortly before he was arrested. John the Apostle was present at the time that Jesus poured out his heart to the Father in this prayer. It's recorded in John 17. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all to whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Notice the intimacy of the relationship that Jesus speaks to the Father as the Son. He calls himself the Son, uh, the Son of Man, the Son of God. He calls himself the Christ. Notice he also says, Father, glorify me. Take me back to that glorified place where I lived with you before the world began. This goes back to our understanding of who God is as Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We Christians believe that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Before there was any human being, any human father, any world, we believe that God existed in community as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now the creed says we believe in God's only Son. That Jesus is God's only Son. What does that mean? Well, the scriptures teach that as well. Again, the great scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So where does that leave the rest of us? If Jesus the Christ is the only son of God, who are we, chopped liver? I mean, doesn't it seem not nice to say that we are not children of God, sons and daughters of God? Well, the truth is, by birth, we are not. By birth, we are wonderful people created in the image and likeness of God. We are loved by God, but we are not children of God by birth, but we can become children of God by faith, through adoption. Again, as the Apostle John wrote in John 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive the Son, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's why Paul wrote in Galatians 3.26, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So to be a Christian is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that he is the only eternal Son of God. By believing, we become adopted children of God. Number three, the creed teaches that as Christians we believe that Jesus Christ, God's only Son, is our Lord. Look at this section from the book of Philippians. Paul is writing to the Philippians, 
encouraging them to take the same attitude of humility and obedience that Jesus had. But as he does this, he shares this ancient hymn. That's what this is believed to be, an ancient Christian hymn, which talks about how Jesus humbled himself and how God then exalted Jesus. It says in Philippians 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Greek word translated Lord is the word kurios, and it's sometimes translated as master, as in master or owner of servants or slaves. Your Lord is the one you serve. And Paul says that one day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is supreme Lord over all, and every knee will bow in reverent submission to Jesus as Lord, as master of the universe. Now, to say that we believe Jesus the Christ is our Lord means to say that we, here and now, bow in reverent submission to him as our master, as our Lord, as our owner. And so this is a question that everyone has to wrestle with. Who is the Lord of their life? Who is the master of their destiny? Many of us don't want to give that away. We really want to self-direct our lives. We want to govern our own life. Well, to be a Christian is to bow the knee to Jesus as Lord. The good thing is Jesus came so that we could have life and have it to the full. And it's only when we're living in loving submission to his lordship that we can experience life to the full. But to make this confession of Jesus Christ as Lord is both powerful and also dangerous. It's powerful because Paul said it results in our salvation when combined with faith. He said in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yes, to be saved from our sin in this life and the next, we have to believe in our heart that Jesus is a resurrected Lord and we have to confess our allegiance to him as our Lord. Very powerful. Confessing, owning, making allegiance to him, a very powerful thing results in salvation. However, this confession was extremely dangerous in ancient times. Because in the Roman Empire, citizens were expected to confess Caesar as Lord to show their submission to the emperor. As a matter of fact, you had to recognize Caesar as divine and offer incense to him as a god. They didn't even care if you worshipped other gods. They didn't care if you worshipped many gods, but you had to say Caesar is Lord or you would get in trouble. And it was kind of like in Nazi Germany, right? People said, Heil Hitler. And if you didn't, you were in trouble because you were not showing your allegiance to Hitler. In the Roman Empire, if you didn't say Caesar is Lord and worship him through offering incense, you were in trouble. For this reason, many Christians, thousands of Christians were put to death, burned at the stake, 
thrown in the gladiator ring, killed by wild beasts, because they said Jesus is Lord, saying our allegiance is to Jesus, not Caesar. We believe Jesus is more powerful than Caesar. It literally got them killed. Confessing this creed could be a death sentence for you in ancient times. This is why we need to be willing to just take some heat for being Christians. It should be noted that being a true Christian and living in this world as a follower of Jesus will generate pushback from the unbelieving world that we live in. It'll make pushback for you in your professional life, in your personal life, if your family members don't confess Jesus as the Christ and the Lord. It'll make it very difficult for kids in schools who are peer pressured into all kinds of things and are expected to conform to the expectations of whatever the most recent powerful agenda handed down to them is. It's going to cost you something to align with Jesus Christ as our Lord. And this is why Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So finally, the creed says that to be a Christian means that we believe that Jesus is the virgin born savior. The last part of the section says that we believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord, his, or his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, the passage of scripture that I read at the beginning of the message has Joseph betrothed to Jesus' mother, Mary. But then he's all tied in a knot because while they're legally betrothed, she is unexpectedly pregnant. He knows he's not the father. And so what is he going to do? Well, he can't go through with the marriage because she's pregnant with someone else's baby. He decides he's not going to have her stoned or try to make her life miserable. He's going to divorce her quietly. But then an angel appears to him in a dream and tells him that he should go ahead and marry Mary because she is still a virgin. And the child which is conceived in her is not from another man, but is from the Holy Spirit. And then the angel tells him that he should adopt Jesus as his earthly son. He should name him Jesus because Jesus means the Lord saves. And this son, this adopted son of Joseph, would save his people from their sins. So what is the reason that Jesus had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Why couldn't he be the Christ, the Messiah, our Lord, and be born the regular way? Well, it's all tied to why he came. Jesus came to save humanity from their sins by dying in their place on a cross. In order to him be able to pay for the sins of the human race, he had to be fully human, born of a woman, but also free from the guilt of sin himself. And the scriptures teach that we are all sinners. None of us is not guilty of sin and that the wages of sin is death. As a matter of fact, we have all inherited genetically from our earthly fathers a sin nature, which is a proclivity to sin that was set in motion by the first human father, Adam. So Jesus, in order for him to come and die for us, he could have no sin of his own to die for. He had to be innocent. So he had to have a different genetic makeup. His father was God, not sinful Adam. 
in order for him to die for all of humanity, he had to be infinite. He had to be the son of God. So Jesus came as the innocent, infinite son of God, born of a virgin, so that he could die to pay for the sins of humanity so that we could be forgiven. So let me close by giving one application for each of these facets of who the creed says Jesus is. First, since Jesus is the Christ, put your hope in him. The Messiah who had come was to give hope to the people because he would do things for them that they couldn't do on themselves. He would set the oppressed free. He would open the eyes of the blind. He would uh, proclaim liberty to the captives. Jesus has come. He is the Messiah. And he doesn't just offer us this rescue when we die. He offers it now. So in your current situation where you feel hopeless, the Messiah is here. He is offering you help, hope. He has come. He is present. He is alive. Put your hope in him. You are not stuck. Second, since Jesus is the Son of God, we worship him. We worship him with the Father and with the Spirit. And we glorify Jesus. If he was just a cool guy or a cool teacher, we might learn from him, but we wouldn't worship him. But since we believe he is the Son of God, we worship him as God. Third, since Jesus is our Lord, we must submit to him. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? He is the Lord. We call him our Lord, which means we should order our lives in submission to him. A lot of people want to be saved from their sin, but they don't want to live with Jesus as their Lord. Have you confessed Jesus as your true Lord? Are you living with Jesus as your Lord? Have you surrendered your preferences, your desires, your directions, your finances to Jesus to be used for his disposal? That's what it means to be a Christian. Number four, since Jesus is the virgin-born Savior, accept his forgiveness. Friends, Jesus is the innocent, infinite Son of God who loves you so much that he endured the cross so that all of your sins could be forgiven. Are you carrying guilt or shame? He doesn't want you to. It's already been paid for on the cross. Receive his forgiveness today and stand up from this online service free with the weight of your sin no longer resting on your shoulders because it rested on his. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for coming. I thank you that you are our savior. I thank you that you died for our sins. Let us be willing to suffer for you, confess you, and stand with you. And now we pray that ancient prayer that unites us with people of all times who have called upon your name as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us boldly confess what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the resurrection of the body, the forgiveness of sins, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.